welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remain standing and pray with you. Lord, we are calling out to you to come among us this morning. We would pray for your presence to be here palpably as we hear the word of God uh, proclaimed among us. Lord, reach, reach out into this congregation and touch hearts that are weighed down with sorrow or loneliness or physical pain or distraction. Lord, and help us to wake up to your presence among us. Lord, fill me the preacher, I pray, with your Holy Spirit so that I might proclaim your word to your people this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Listen to Luke's little apocalypse. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. And there Jesus said, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That does not sound like Christmas, not one bit. That does not sound like Christmas at all. It doesn't make me feel holly or jolly, not at all. I don't feel lulled into a eggnog-induced stupor of sentimentality. I don't feel the warm glow of a Charlie Brown nostalgia. I never thought it was such a bad little tree. It's not a bad tree at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. I, I, have we turned a generation so that some of y'all have never seen a Charlie Brown Christmas? I can't believe it. Nope, it does not seem like Christmas at all because it's not Christmas. It's Advent. Now, don't get me wrong, no matter what I said before this service, there are no Grinches at Christ Church. Not only do we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate all of Christmas. We start on Christmas Eve, and we do not stop until January the 5th. There is mandatory revelry and merriment for all for the entire 12 days of Christmas. The beatings will continue until morale improves. You will follow la la la, and you will like it. And then we'll add another Christmas-related celebration on top called Epiphany, which will happen on January the 6th. So don't worry, we will sing Christmas carols for the entire span of the celebration. You will get your full. But right now, it is Advent. And this is an important season for us because while the secular culture focuses on mall Christmas, mall Christmas, what's happening, happening right now at Thruway Shopping Center. Advent calls followers of Jesus Christ to sober and quiet reflection. The secular culture focuses on noise and anxiety and hustle and overconsumption of every stripe. But what the scriptures and what this season calls us to are reflection and quiet contemplation of how we, are, how we are relating to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a time when we focus on the Lord's second coming, on Christ's second coming, and whether we are ready for that great, great day. Can you believe that? We have an, an entire 
season of the Christian year where that theme of Christ's return and glory keeps coming up over and over and over again. When I was a kid, I don't think we ever talked about Jesus coming again in that little Methodist church I grew up in. And when I heard about it, I was surprised and a little worried. Well, we definitely need this emphasis. There is, no, there is so much in Advent and in the Bible readings associated with this time of the Christian year that foster a distinctly Christian way of viewing the world. The key themes of, there, are, there are key themes of biblical theology and discipleship, and they come to us through our focus on the second Advent, on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in the passage from Luke that I just referred to and that we heard some this morning, Jesus tells us that history is going someplace. That's why it's important to remember this, that, that there is a goal, there is a, an objective to human history. God has determined that the existence of this universe and of humanity in particular is directed towards a particular end, a particular goal. Now, that is a distinction, that's a distinction from the Greco-Roman world of Jesus' day. The prevailing philosophy among most of the philosophers, the predominant philosophers, was actually not Epicureanism, but the most influential philosophers of that day were Stoics. And the Stoics believed, listen, that this is what Stoic philosophy taught, that the the world was created and and it lasted for about 3,000 years, and at the end of 3,000 years, everything was burned up in a great big conflagration, a great big fire, and then it all got rebooted to run the exact same program over again, all the way through. So that basically we are all hamsters on the wheel of time, trotting along, going no place. There's no objective. There's no true resolution to history. We're always moving through time, but never really getting anywhere. And similarly, secular people today live in a world where there is no ultimate purpose to existence. You live and you die, and that's it. It's just what you got right now and the eternal dirt nap afterwards. And after a few more billion years, the universe winds down to an ever-expanding entropic deep freeze in which all matter is reduced to a subatomic soup basically hovering at absolute zero. That sounds encouraging, doesn't it? But that's hopeless. And hopelessness is the necessary companion of a purposeless existence. If there is no purpose, if history is not going anywhere, then hopelessness ensues. Just this past week, the Centers for Disease Control released a report that for the third year in a row, the life expectancy of citizens of the United States has decreased. Life expectancy in this country has decreased for the third year in a row. And the causes, the two main causes, are really based on death from despair. Death from despair. There has been a dramatic increase in suicides and a dramatic increase in drug overdoses. Death from despair. You see, brothers and sisters, our worldview literally has life and death consequences. How we view reality has life and death consequences. And against both of these purposeless worldviews, Jesus tells us that the world does indeed have a purpose, a goal. 
and that we humans share in that great purpose. Jesus will return in glory at the end of the age, and we who belong to him will rule and reign with him throughout eternity in the new heavens and the new earth in ways that we can't even begin to imagine right now, enjoying that new creation and participating with God in that new creation. We will not face an end marked by the terror of judgment, but ultimately our complete and total redemption. Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, verses 27 and 28, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, listen to what Jesus says, straighten up. So these words are actually words of encouragement. Straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. History is going someplace and God is the ruler of the end of history. Jesus also offers his his followers encouragement and a warning about that day. Now, first of all, he encourages us to watch for the signs that he mentions. He does tell us that there are signs before the end, not in the sense of trying to predict the exact time of his coming, but in the sense of being alert. Be alert, because we need more alerts. I'm going to stop. Be alert. Wait patiently. Wait with expectation. We're to watch and to hope for his return. I remember when uh, I was a kid, my mom and dad went, my dad is, a, is an attorney. He's still practicing law. He's, a, he's 103. No, he's not. No, my dad is, uh, is 80 years old. He's still practicing law in Rockingham, North Carolina. But I remember back when I was seven years old, Mom and dad went on a bar um, association, uh, attorney bar association, uh, bar association trip to Spain. And they had the best time. They, they really enjoyed themselves. We've still got knickknacks on the shelves at my house from, uh, their retur- from what they brought us back from Spain. But it seemed like they were gone forever. I think they were only gone for like 10 days or something like that. And my, my grandmother and grandfather, Papa and Nanny, came and stayed with us and kept us at our house in, in Hamlet, North Carolina. And every day I'd get up and I'd say, Papa, are Mom and Daddy coming back today? And he'd say, no, son, they're not coming back today. Finally, I said, Papa, are they coming back today? Yes, they're coming home today. And I remember going down to the end of that, that driveway. We had a long asphalt driveway that went out from our house down to the street and waited there all day long for that Ford LTD station wagon to roll in with mom and dad, waiting expectantly at the end of the highway, longing for their return, couldn't wait for them to get back. That's what this season is about. It reminds us to wait with joyful expectation, getting ready for the return of King Jesus. This will not be a secret coming, as some cults and false teachers suggest, Rather, Scripture and the great tradition teach that Jesus' return, Jesus Christ's return, will be preceded by universally recognizable signs that will create dismay and anxiety for all the nations. They may not recognize the events as a prelude to the coming. We call the, the appearing of Jesus, there's a technical term, because, you know, we do give you a secret decoder ring when you get baptized. It has all these Christian terms on it. It's called the parousia or the parousia, or uh, as I say as a, a southerner, the perusia. Waiting for the perusia, the parousia. 
And it means appearing, the appearing of the Lord. And so there will be signs and events that will come as a prelude to the parousia. But the, many people will not recognize that these are indicating Christ's return, but they will recognize that there is something monumental happening. The very fabric of the universe will declare that something literally earth-shaking is taking place. Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. These are all signs that are related to the created order. Something's going to be going on and we'll see it. I think we see those kind of things today. People, Jesus says, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. Now, it's interesting here, when Jesus uses the word, or when Luke interprets the word that Jesus used, Jesus spoke probably in Aramaic, so he's preaching this in Aramaic. Aramaic is, a, is a kin to, it's a Semitic language, it's like Hebrew and, 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 um, and Arabic, it's a Semitic language. And so Jesus is preaching in that, but when he is recorded by the, the apostles, those who wrote the, and those who wrote the Gospels, in Greek. And the Greek word that we usually hear for the world is something like cosmos, the cosmos. But Jesus doesn't use cosmos here. He says, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the uh, oikonomia, oikonomia, or oikonomene, oikonomene. And what that is, is listen, are you ready? It is the, the political and economic and societal realm. And so people are feigning with fear and foreboding for what is happening in the political and the economic and the societal realm. Not just what's happening in the heavens, not just what's happening in the physical creation, but human society will be showing signs that create fear and foreboding. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. All of this will culminate in the unmistakable, universal, visible return of King Jesus in glory. Jesus says, Luke 21, verse 27, And then you will see the Son of Man, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus encourages us, his disciples, that we can trust this promise of his second return. Now I just want to stop right now and take a breath. Because when we talk about Jesus coming again in power and great glory at the end of the age, coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, that just seems to most people implausible. If we're really, really honest, doesn't seem likely. And I don't think the people who were hearing it the first time thought it seemed likely. Because Jesus emphasizes that you can trust his word. He says in Luke 21, verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Just as surely as the first advent of Christ, the first coming of Christ, as was prophesied in the Old Testament, just as that came to pass in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and it had been foretold in God's word, so again, is, which was just as an unlikely event, that God would come among his people. Emmanuel, that was the promise. God with us. It doesn't, nobody thought that was likely to happen and certainly not likely in Bethlehem of all places. Just as that was implausible then, this may seem implausible to us today, but it is firmly established in God's word and we can count on it. We can count on God to fulfill his word 
and the second coming will happen. And in view of his imminent return, Jesus tells us, don't get distracted, verses 34 through 36, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Dissipation, drunkenness, and anxiety anxiety sound exactly like what a lot of people engage in right before Christmas. His coming will be sudden and unexpected, even though the signs will be there. We need to be on the alert because if we are not prepared, we will not be able to stand before the Son of Man when He comes. The distractions draw us away from what is important to what is trivial. We sacrifice what is truly important on the altar of trivialities in this life. Isn't it ironic that the very things that we associate with the coming of Christmas are the things that can prevent us from being ready for the coming of Christ? We can be distracted by dissipation. What is dissipation? We don't use that word every day. It means overconsumption of food, overindulgence in revelry. Yes, there will be mandatory revelry at Christmas, but it will be moderate revelry. (laughs) Overindulgence in revelry, filling our lives with possessions. Those things point to dissipation. Drunkenness is self-explanatory. The cares of this life, Jesus says, can distract us. Anxiety and worry, preoccupation with the trivialities of life. I'm, uh, in my backyard, I'm in a never-ending battle with kudzu. There is a never-ending war against kudzu in my backyard. Did you know that a kudzu root can grow to be almost, listen, 600 pounds in weight? 600 pounds! You can whack it and whack it and whack it. And that's, there's enough energy stored in that 600-pound kudzu root Corbin, did you know that a kudzu root had six could be six hundred pounds? She, she's a horticulturalist. It's amazing that that can happen. And I'm in a never-ending battle, whacking and whacking and pulling and chopping, and yes, sometimes even trying to round up that kudzu, and it keeps coming back. And if I'm not alert, if I do not keep diligent, it will swallow my backyard. It'll come over that back fence. It'll swallow up those akubas. It'll come back. It'll catch up with small children and cover them. Dogs and cats, grills and patio furniture, and eventually everybody in the house. And so we're called, just like I have to be diligent and keep that kudzu from growing, we have to keep the things from strangling our Christian life that can come in to our our day-to-day routines. Dissipation drunkenness, and the anxieties of worry, preoccupation. Jesus' remedy for all of this is that we remain alert. Be aware that an end is coming. Think about it. That's why we have a season devoted to this. Whether we live to see the parousia, the, the, the coming or the appearing of the Lord, or whether we are taken home in death before that time of the end comes, there is an end for all of us coming. Jesus says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Prayer is the key to our alertness. It refocuses our lives back on God. And so this week in the parish notes, there's going to go out a a link for devotions that you can use on your day-to-day life. Be attuned in prayer 
during this time. It helps us to discern the season that we are in. And one of the great blessings, though, that comes with the frequent celebration of Holy Communion, which we do at Christ Church, is that we are forced to remain watchful and alert. We are forced to examine our lives again and again as we prepare to receive the sacrament. We are challenged when to let the Holy Spirit convict us of those areas of our life in which we need to repent and to seek God's forgiveness. Because here's the truth. Are you ready? Jesus is coming again. Christ does come again. And He comes again every time we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We call it the Eucharist. Eucharist is just a word that means thanksgiving. So we have thanksgiving every Sunday at Christ Church. He does come again at every Eucharist in humble glory. He's not coming clothed in the clouds, but veiled under the signs of bread and wine. And at this table, we encounter the risen Christ in a very real and palpable way. For those of us who are waiting expectantly for Christ's return, who come to the Lord's table with genuine repentance for sin and trusting in Jesus as our Savior, this is a wonderful foretaste of that great day. And I've got to tell you, this is a beautiful thing for someone who preaches Sunday to Sunday. Let me tell you why. Because folks, and, and you're very kind to me, you say nice things to me, don't stop. But not every sermon is a good sermon. This may be one of those that isn't. But every Sunday, Jesus comes again. Every Sunday, Jesus comes again at Christ Church. And I don't care how good your preaching is, it never gets as good as that. It never gets as good as meeting Jesus at his table. Now, I can't explain how he does this. I just know that he does. Jesus promises to be present to us under the signs of bread and wine. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. He didn't say, think about my body and think about my blood, or this is kind of like my body, it's kind of like my blood, or this is a symbol of my body and a symbol of my blood. No, he just said, this is my body. This is my blood. Uh, in the old Latin text that many of the reformers were well-versed with, it, those words are hoc est corpus meum. And so Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he was challenged about Christ's real presence in the Eucharist, he was drinking beer because he's Martin Luther. <laughs> he's got his beer stein in his hand, and he starts to pound it, and then beer is sloshing out, hoc est corpus meum. <laughs> this is my body. He really does come to us. We don't understand how he does it, but he does it every Sunday. And that is a second coming we can all begin to enjoy this morning. Years ago in the church, we, I've told you all this story before, but you probably forgot. <coughs> we planted a church in Fayetteville years ago, and we had some friends whose four-year-old daughter was playing with her sister upstairs in the, in the uh, bonus room above the garage, Right? And there was a window there, and the window was open because it was, it was a warm spring day, and, uh, and there were some boxes under the window, and little Hannah Aline was, was, had her My Little Pony plastic doll in her hand, and she was climbing up on those boxes near that window. There wasn't even a screen in that window. The window was open, and her sister Janice, uh, Janice said, don't, get, don't go up there, don't get close to that window. And so she started to go towards Hannah, and because Hannah was a contrarian, Hannah did not want her sister to grab a hold to her, so she went, leaned back, and what happened? 
she fell right out of that window. And she fell on top of their minivan, and then she fell onto the concrete driveway. And in her fall, her head struck the, the, the little hard plastic hoof of that My Little Pony and punctured her skull in a serious cranial fracture. And it was right over the place where her speech center was and right where her motor skills were located as well. And so she was seriously injured. They rushed her to the hospital, and, uh, and they thought that she was going to have lasting repercussions from this terrible, terrible fracture. But God miraculously healed Hannah. And when the Aline family, Hannah Aline and her mom and dad and children, uh, brothers and si- brother and sister came forward to receive Holy Communion following Hannah's recovery, I served uh, Mama. Daddy was a, uh, was a uh, 82nd Airborne chaplain, so he wasn't there that day. I served her sister, Janice, and I served her brother, Joshua. But little Hannah, who was four years old, just looked up at me and she walked past. And after the Sunday service, Hannah told her mother, she said, I'm mad at that man. Now, she usually called me Pastor Ben. But she said, she told her mama, I'm mad at that man. So Melinda said, why are you mad at him? So, well, he, he wouldn't let me come to Jesus. And so as Melinda began to acquire a little more, she realized that Hannah was talking about me not serving her Holy Communion. Melinda told her, well, you know, honey, different churches have different rules, and sometimes they want to make sure that you know Jesus before you receive communion. Now, in our tradition, all baptized Christians who come with faith and repentance are welcomed at the Lord's table. So Hannah replied, though, to her mother's explanation. She said, Mama, I know Jesus. Melinda said, well, honey, I know that Jesus is in your heart. But she said, no, Mama, I really know Jesus. I really know him. So she went on to tell her mother that when she fell from the window, this is a four-year-old now, so she doesn't really have a context for this. She hasn't watched a bunch of uh, TV shows about this. She was three. I'm getting hand signals. She was three. (laughs) I have been corrected. Thank you, Lord. So she really hasn't seen any TV shows or read any books (coughs) about these kind of things. She said, Mama, when I fell, an angel came and took me to Jesus. An angel came. Isn't that amazing? I love these kind of things because, wow, what a confirmation. She said that when she met Jesus, he told her that she would have to go back to her mother for a little while, for a little while longer. And these were Jesus' words. Your mother can't live without you right now. And so Melinda said that when she heard that, Melinda was telling me the story. She said, when I heard that from Hannah, it took my breath away because I was praying in my heart, in my mind, not speaking it out loud, holding my child on that concrete driveway. I, Lord Jesus, I've already let, lost children in miscarriage. I cannot lose another child. I can't live without this child right now. She was praying that in her heart. And Jesus told that little girl, your mama said that Jesus can't live with, or your mama says she can't live without you right now. What I want you to see in that story is that when Hannah came forward, she didn't just see bread and wine. She saw Jesus. She recognized the Lord. Her eyes were opened, and she recognized him in the breaking of bread. Jesus had come again in that little church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Jesus comes again this Sunday in this little church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 
We need to examine our hearts. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything that we need to confess to God, and we repent of that before we come to sup with and sup upon our Lord Jesus Christ. But he comes again at this table. I'm a big uh, Second World War. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a buff, but I'm interested in it. Any kind, anytime I can see a, a documentary, uh, I want to watch a documentary on the Second World War. Uh, read a lot about it. Well, during the Second World War, it was not unheard of for two or three or sometimes even four years to transpire before service personnel were able to return to their families. It was rare, but it was not unusual. So a while back, I may have told you this already, but there was an account of a Marine serving his country during the Second World War, and when he had left for the war, he left a wife who was expecting their first child. And so he left for the South Pacific, and not long after he left, that first child was born, a, a beautiful baby girl. And her mama was determined that she would know her father, that she would never, there would never come a day when she didn't know that she had a father who loved her. And so that faithful mother every day would take out pictures of her dad and show her pictures of her dad and tell her stories of her father. She talked about how much he loved her and how much he cared about her and how someday her dad was going to come home. Honey, he's going to come home. Well, when she was four years old, she was playing in the front yard and a man came to the gate And she looked up, and she looked into eyes filled with love. And she said, Daddy, you're for real. Daddy, you're for real. You've come back. That's why we eat this meal and gather around this table and hear these same faithful words every Sunday. It's just like that mother showing pictures of the father to that little girl. In this, meal, in this meal, we are kept alert and awake. Our hopes are kept alive. Our expectations are kept burning for his return. And so every Sunday during Advent, we will proclaim, we remember his death, we proclaim his resurrection, and we await his coming in glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.